Hi, my name's Paul Grogan, and welcome to episode 41 of the all-new Gaming Rules podcast. This episode is an audio version of the live Q&A that went out in March 2023. A big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters for funding the channel, and if you like the content that I create and you want to support me directly, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. And now, on with the show. Hi everybody, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, welcome to another live Q&A for March 2023. It's March already. Um, yeah, so as always, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be answering questions. I'm going to be answering questions, not we, me. I'm going to be answering questions for about the next 90 minutes or so. Uh, first of all, I'm going to cover all of the questions that I've been asked over on the BGG Guild, uh, and then we'll go to the live questions. So if you're watching this live and you do have a question for me, Please pop it in the chat. Start with the word question in capitals, then a colon. Uh, make sure you use the Helvetica font. No, I'm kidding. Question, colon, and then put the question. Vicky will see those questions, strip them out and put them into a document, which I will then go through. But first of all, we're going to go through all of the questions that I've been asked in advance on the guild. So for those of you who don't know, I have a guild. It's over on Board Game Geek, and you are more than welcome to join. There are a number of good discussions that go on there. And after today's live Q&A, there's going to be another couple of discussions as well. Um, and every month, uh, about a week before this video, before the live Q&A, I create a post on there for people to ask me questions in advance. So if you're catching this one live and you don't normally, if, if you're not normally able to catch these videos, but you do want to ask me something in advance, that thread on the guild is where you ask those questions. So head on over to Board Game Geek, guild number 2258, join make sure you click the subscribe button because otherwise you won't get any notifications and uh yeah if you want to start a discussion on there you're more than welcome right so we are going to be uh answering the questions uh, yeah answering the questions that i've been asked in advance first right and we're going to get the important ones out of the way first so brian robson who asks questions every month about biscuits he's got in first this month so we're going to get this done first but his first question is not about biscuits. I'm very disappointed, Brian. I have written to my local MP. Uh, I have complained that your question, your first question was not biscuit related. Uh, and he's going to be sending a letter to you, I believe. Anyway, Brian's first question is, have I ever played a game where everyone else at the table loved it, but I thought it was either rubbish or boring or just a bit meh? Um, and I was, I've been thinking about this today and I'm pretty sure that's happened but I can't remember um, exactly <laughs> exactly which game it is. Um, if you're watching this live or if you're watching this back afterwards and that has ever happened to you, leave me a comment, let me know. Um, and I will try and remember, Brian, but I'm pretty sure that's happened. Um, I feel quite lucky in the fact that most games that I play these days are very good. Uh, some games that I've played, you know, are, are absolutely exceptional. Um, but I'm pretty sure that there are some games out there that, I mean, there's definitely some games out there that I haven't enjoyed, but over the last two or three years, I think generally speaking, the ones that I haven't enjoyed are the ones that other people also haven't enjoyed. So, um, yeah. Right. Which games will I be taking on our honeymoon? Well, we need to travel light. Uh, so probably Mage Knight with all of the expansions. Probably uh, ISS Vanguard with all the expansions. Tainted Grail. No, I don't know. Um, Vicky's not a big games player. Uh, it's not something that she enjoys doing that much. 
but we will probably take a couple of games. Have you had a thought about, you stick in the chat what games that I've got which you'd be happy for us to take on our honeymoon. We'll answer that later on once Vicky's had a, had a think about it. Uh, right. Next, what is my opinion of Aldi's Oties? Which are the, apparently, they're their own brand equivalent of milk chocolate hobnobs. Now, Brian knows that I am a big fan of milk chocolate hobnobs. We've not tried these yet. So the next time we go to Aldi, we do have an Aldi near us. We will be looking out for milk chocolate hobnobs. Uh, the equivalent, which is called Oties. So yeah, I, I don't have an opinion on them yet. Um, but I will let you know, probably next month. Now, the next question is a very deep uh, philosophical one that we've actually been talking about for the last few days. And that is, and I'm really keen to know what you think about this. Where does a Twix bar fall on the chocolate bar stroke biscuit Venn diagram? Now, you had your own thoughts on it, didn't you? Did you say it was more of a biscuit than chocolate? No, you said it was more of a chocolate bar because they advertise it as a chocolate bar. And initially, my, my gut reaction was it's a chocolate bar because Twixies, you always find Twixies with all of those other chocolate bars in the shops. Therefore, straight away, I went, well, it's a chocolate bar. But actually, there is a lot of biscuit in there. So I would say it's probably 60% chocolate bar with a little bit of biscuit. Um, and if you don't have Twixies in your country, you might have an equivalent. I, I, I don't know. There is a reason for the background image. We'll come on to that later on. Next question from Ross. And I don't know if Ross has got secret cameras installed in my house. I really hope he doesn't. Because he's asked the question of, did I see the film trailer for The Flash? And if so, what are my thoughts? And when he sent that question, a couple of days before, I actually watched the film trailer. So I like superhero movies. We, we generally like superhero movies. We're big fans of the Marvel ones. The DC ones have been hit and miss. Some of them have been really good. Wonder Woman was really good, for example. Um, but some of the rest of them, they just miss the mark. I don't know what it is with DC. They just don't seem to get the right, the, the magic right. Um, but we've watched a lot of the Flash TV series. Well, we watched the first four seasons before it just got absolutely awful and gave up with it. Um, but I was very keen to see what they were doing with the Flash, the film. So I did watch the trailer. Uh, and I was actually a little bit surprised because without giving too many spoilers away, the overall story that I saw from the trailer was exactly the same story from season one of the TV series. And I, d I don't know if that, if you know the answer to this question, is that one of the classic flash comic stroke graphic novel stories that they adapted for the TV series, uh, which they have then turned into a film? Or, or is it is it something else? So I was a little bit surprised that they've used pretty much the same storyline as they used in the TV series. That was my initial thoughts. Other than that, we'll definitely watch it. It looks cool. I like superhero movies. We'll see if it's any good or not. Um, I do like the fact that they've brought... Um, what's his name back as Batman? Michael Keaton. And, the, and there's reasons for that which I won't go into too much. But yeah, Michael Keaton's in it as Batman. And I thought Michael Keaton made, made a great Batman. So yeah. Right. Next question from Gavin. Uh, do I ration my biscuit intake as part of my overall diet? Gavin's got type 2 diabetes and he really shouldn't eat too many. And when he says too many, he means none. <laughs> but he cheats. Um, I don't. I, I don't have... I don't have a biscuit um, threshold 
or any I don't ration it or anything like that. In fact, we don't have many biscuits in the house. I we we, we have the Jaffa cakes and I have pretty much a Jaffa cake every morning with my porridge. Um, but other than that, we don't tend to have that many biscuits in the house. The problem is if we do have biscuits in the house, they've gone. Um, and we try and eat a bit healthier. So the problem is whenever anybody comes around with a pack of biscuits or anything, we insist that they take with them what they haven't eaten because otherwise, yeah, we'll eat them and it, it's not good. Um, right. Next question. Uh, which do I enjoy more? This is a good question. Back to the game questions. Which do I enjoy more? A pure game with one central mechanism or a game with a variety of mechanisms all mashed together? And he says, I appreciate you probably enjoy games of both types, but on average, which one do you enjoy more? So it's a really good question. And you're right. I do play games of both types. However, the kind of games that I generally play are the medium weight to medium heavy Euro style games. And those games very rarely have just one mechanism. That's not to say that I enjoy them more because there are some really good other games with one central mechanism. But I think my preference is for the ones that are a bit more involved and therefore contain a few different mechanisms going on. Now, there are some games going off at a slight tangent here. There are some games that go too far. There are some games that go, oh, and we're going to put this in. Oh, and, and we'll have this in as well. Oh, and we'll have we'll have some we'll have some deck building. We'll have a bit of area control and we'll have a bit of worker placement and we'll have a bit of uh, bluffing and we'll have a bit of, you know, take that and we'll have a bit of push your luck and we'll have no. Right. And, and, I've, and, I've, and I've gone on about this many times in other Q&As or video logs that I'm not too, I'm not too happy uh, and, I'm, and I'm not keen on the current board game trending of, of the hobby with it, with new games coming out where they always have to do a million things. No, you don't always have to do a million things. Sometimes things need to be stripped back. And I'm seeing so many games come out now that in my opinion would be much better games if they had 10, 20, 30% shaved off. So you end up with a shorter, easier, more accessible game that doesn't have the extra things on the edge. Um, but there are a couple of games which I've played with just one central mechanism. For example, I do enjoy Splendor. Splendor is quite a light game and it is pretty much one mechanism. You take the chips, you spend the chips to buy the things, the things give you a discount on future things, and that's it. That's the game. Um, you know, but would I choose to play Splendor or would I choose to play Dune Imperium? I'd always choose to play Dune Imperium. So I think for me, I do like the ones that are a little bit more meaty. Next question from Mark. And this is this is such a good question, Mark, that I've act I actually started a thread on my uh, Slack channel earlier on today asking for what other people thought about it. And I think we're going to turn this into a question on the guild. So um, Chrissy, if you're watching, I think Chrissy is watching. Uh, could you turn this into a question on the guild? I mentioned the guild earlier on. And what we're going to do is Chrissy is going to create a question on the guild, which is from Mark. And the question is, what game from pre-1985 is deserving of a facelift or redesign for the modern gaming public? That is the question. So it's actually two different questions. First of all, which game from pre-1985 do we want to see republished, but with 
better artwork, better components, better graphics, but no changes to the rules. That's that's the first sort of question. And the second question is which game from pre-1985 deserves a complete and utter overhaul to bring it to, into the modern gaming industry, uh, modern gaming hobby. And what I'm going to do is I actually did a quick search on BGG for all of the games uh, published before 1985, thinking, oh, this isn't going to be that many. No, it's hundreds. Um, and there was loads on there. Now, I've been gaming since the 80s, so there was a lot of these games on there that I've played and heard of. But I'll give you some things that were discussed on the Slack channel earlier on. Um, the first one came from Adam, Rich, Adam Richards of Punchboard UK, and he said Acquire. Now, Acquire has actually been redone a few times uh, over the years. Um, and I don't think, personally, I don't think Acquire would need any rules changes. I think Acquire is a solid game. I think if, going on to what I was saying earlier on, I think if somebody did pick up Acquire, they'd probably end up overcomplicating it with a million extra house rules and variants, and it doesn't need it. Um, Adam also mentioned Titan. Titan is a classic older game that I personally feel is totally and utterly unplayable, but there is something special and unique about it. So if, if Titan was picked up and redone, uh, given a completely different game, uh, Magic Realm was a game that I thought of, but some might argue that Mage Knight is actually a sort of version of Magic Realm, sort of. Um, but yeah, there was, a, there was a whole bunch of lists of uh, all of these games published pre-1985. People are talking about Lost Valley. Um, Scott is saying The Great Game of Britain, Wildlife. So there's a lot of mass market games that came out uh, at, at, at the time that possibly could be redone. Now, there is one game uh, called Kingmaker that is a very old classic game, uh, and that's actually been redone. Um, so Alan Paul has been redesigning that uh, with Gibson Games, and that was on Kickstarter last year, I think. Um, so that's one of them. Uh, what else have we got? Cry Havoc, the original Cry Havoc. Uh, there's a lot of old Steve Jackson games, but uh, whilst I played a lot of them at the time, I don't think any of them are, uh, are good enough to pick up and, and redo. But yeah, there's going to be a question on the Guild. If you have your own thoughts on that, or you just want to head over onto the Guild to see what other people think, that question will be there probably in a few minutes. Um, yeah. Uh, right, next question from SR819. If you were stranded on a desert island and could only play one board game, and these are your choices, would it be Castles of Burgundy, Teotihuacan, City of the Gods, or Tekenu? Now, straight away, I thought and I went, mm, Castles, Castles of Burgundy would be was my immediate choice because I really like Castles of Burgundy. But actually, I think I prefer Teotihuacan. I, I, I love Castles of Burgundy and I've played it about 400 times in total. Uh, most of them have been online and most of them have been two player. And I don't think Castles of Burgundy works well at two player without variant rules. Uh, but Teotihuacan, City of the Gods, I think has got a lot more going for it. Um, and in fact, there is a new deluxe version coming from Board and Dice. Uh, and there is a prototype copy of that deluxe version on its way to me right now. That's not why I'm choosing it. Um, this isn't a product placement video, but yeah, Teotihuacan City of the Gods. I really enjoy that game and I want to play it more. So it would probably, probably be that one. Right. The next question from Peter Tan. Now, if you're watching Peter, I've got something, I've got some comments on your question before I then go in to answer it. So Peter is asking, do I think that there are very few modern games that feel like classic Euros? over the years. 
Now, if we end the question there, I say yes. Okay. And regular viewers of mine will know that I, as I say, I've been playing games a long time. And when I seriously got into the Euro style of games in the late 90s um, and early noughties, the games that we had back then were classic Euros. And every so often I cover them on the channel. So last month, was it? I think last month or whatever, I covered Taj Mahal. And there's a few other games from around that time that are, when you look back at them, we're like, well, compared to modern games, these are actually really simple. The rules are very concise. The rules are very condensed. There's not that many of them. And they are classic Euro games. And as I mentioned earlier on, a lot of games now are adding a hundred million extra things with bling and miniatures and, oh, we'll add this and, oh, we'll add that. There are, I absolutely agree, there are very few classic Euro games coming out now compared to what we had, you know, back then. The most recent one I remember is Game Brewer republished the Palaces of Carrara last year. And when I played Palaces of Carrara, I was like, wait a minute, this is a classic Euro game from like 20 years ago. Uh, Kramer and Kiesling are still designing what I class as classic Euro games. Uh, and I'm sure the good doctor, Mr. Knizia, is um, is designing some of them as well. But that's, that's the first question. Now, Peter then goes on to say, the majority of modern games have elements of luck, such as hidden information, random card draws, dice to resolve, etc., etc. Are there any modern games that you feel are close to being a classic Euro? So the bit that I, I'm not saying I disagree with you, but it, it seems from what you've said is that mo the majority of modern games have elements of luck, such as hidden information, random card draws and dice to resolve. I don't find that's the case. If that was the case, I wouldn't be playing as many games as I am. I, you know, I don't like hidden information. I don't like random card draws. I don't like dice to resolve, generally speaking. I am a Euro gamer at heart. I still play some games with elements of that in, but not that many. And for me, there are hundreds of games coming out every year that I enjoy. So maybe, maybe Peter, you've had, you've experienced a lot of modern games that seem to have this more of a random element in that you don't like. But trust me, there are plenty of games out there that don't have those in. Uh, are there any modern games that you feel are close to being a classic Euro? There's not many. As I say, Palaces of Carrara, I would say that is a classic Euro, but there's not many. Even, even the best games of the year that come out, so your Lost Ruins of Arnax, your June Imperiums, your Frostpunks, uh, your Carnegies, you know, all, all of those games that have come out, are any of them classic Euros? Now, if we take Carnegie as a great example, Carnegie is 100% a Euro game. Absolutely no question about it. And it is very likely my number one game of 2022. It is an absolutely, utterly fantastic game. The design of the game, the gameplay, the production, the graphic design, everything about it, it's an amazing game. Carnegie, for me, is very close to perfection in a game. I think Carnegie is a, an, an, is a Euro game. 100% a Euro game, but is it a classic Euro? Can you compare Carnegie to the games that I've just mentioned? Palaces of Carrara, Taj Mahal and things like that. No, you can't because there's a lot more going on. And I think what you mean by a classic Euro and what I mean by a classic Euro is one where 
it's actually quite rules light and it's very focused on just very sort of simple stuff. Anyway, that's that's hopefully I've answered that question. Next question from Mike. What game has improved the most in your opinion over time? And what game has lowered in your estimation over time? This is another really good question. Um, now, there is one story that I have told a number of times over the last few years, and that is about the Pathfinder Adventure card game. The first time I played the Pathfinder Adventure card game, and if Marcus is in the chat, it was with him. This was when it first came out. So this is going back 10 years, maybe. I was really, really looking forward to that game, uh, and I was massively disappointed, and I would go so far as saying I hated it. Absolutely hated it. And in fact, going back to the earlier question of was there a game that you played that everybody else seemed to enjoy and you didn't? It could have been that game of Pathfinder Adventure card game. It was about 10 years ago. It was the year it came out. I don't know when that was. Anyway, move forward 10 years. I've, I've, my gaming tastes have slightly changed and I've learned to accept certain games for what they are. And they released the Pathfinder Adventure card game second edition that for me fixed a lot of the problems with the first edition and I absolutely loved it. So for me, that game went up in my estimation but that was because a combination of things my tastes changed the graphic design of the cards the gameplay all of that about it and the rules changes yeah if we're looking at a game that's lowered in my estimation over time how long have we got because we could spend the next hour me listing all of the games that i used to like that i no longer like there are so many games that have gone down in my estimation um, over the years. Let's touch on a few classics. Let's touch on Talisman. So 1983 to 1985, <clears throat> every other Saturday, all of Paul's friends would come round to his house and we'd spend six to eight hours playing Talisman. We loved it. That's what we did. You know, we were members of a D&D &D group. We played D&D &D at weekends. And when we played board games, we played Talisman, right? That's what we did. Personally, I think Talisman is one of the worst games ever designed and I never want to play it ever again. So that's definitely gone down in my estimation. Um, there are other games at the time that came out that you know I used to love a long time ago uh, of, of, of that similar sort of style, which have definitely gone down in my estimation. But if we move forward, um, Robo Rally. Now, when I was getting into board gaming in the late 90s, like seriously into board gaming, Robo Rally was one of those games that everybody had in their collection and we all played it and we all loved it and it was a lot of fun. Now, I don't think I want to ever play Robo Rally again because whilst it's fun, it's, it's just way too long. It's way, way too long for the reward that you get from the game. And also, once one player gets ahead, they generally stay ahead. So it, it, it's a fun game and I respect the design of the game. I just don't think it's a very good game. Um, and it's a game that I don't want to play again. Um, other games that have gone down in my estimation, Eclipse. I used to really like Eclipse, but the more and more I played it, the more I realized that the randomness bothered me more and more. And then the second edition came out and I got into it again and I painted half of the miniatures and then I played it more and more and went, yeah, no, I'm still bothered by this amount of randomness. And with Eclipse, it's not just the randomness, it's the fact that we spend three to four hours having this slow build up and nothing happening. And then there's just big fights at the end loads of dice rolls um so yeah so i went off eclipse 
Um, but there's a few other games that, that, that I've gone off as well. There's even some games that I did sponsored videos for on the channel, which after playing them a few times, I actually really went off them. We can continue this conversation later on on Slack, Mike, if you want to. Feel free to start a thread on Slack and I will share some more thoughts with you. Um, but I'm curious, anybody else who's watching this live, if you've got any thoughts or if you're watching this video back afterwards and you have any thoughts on that, let me know. Next question from Mike. Have you ever had to address someone cheating at a game you were involved in? Yes. This has actually happened to me um, a couple of times, not recently, thankfully. Um, but there was one friend of mine who we don't really see anymore who come, came around a lot. And many of my other friends would actually go out of their way to say he's deliberately cheating. And it was a really difficult situation for me to deal with because honestly, I didn't think that they were deliberately cheating. It's the usual thing. And if you've watched any of my live streams, you will know that when you're playing a game, you're like, wait a minute, Paul forgot to pay for that, or you forgot to do this, or you did that and forgot to take the bonus, things like that. Especially when you're live streaming, there's a lot of things going on. My brain is busy looking at the chat, trying to teach the rules, trying to play the game and everything else. So a lot of things get missed. And I call that accidental cheating because, you know, if I'm going to buy something, but I forget to pay for it, then I've kind of cheated, but I didn't really mean to do it. It's just an accident. Um, but one of my uh, regular players was doing it so often in every single game they played that I had most of my other friends didn't ever want to play a game with them because they couldn't be trusted to do it. And they actually said, yeah, he's, he's deliberately cheating. So it was a really difficult situation to deal with. Um, have I ever been involved in a, in a game where somebody deliberately cheated and, and literally deliberately cheated? Apart from a couple of games of Magic the Gathering at tournament level, which is a different thing entirely, in the board gaming hobby, not really. I mean, possibly a long, long time ago. The thing is, I wouldn't notice. You know, if I was playing a game with you and you had to spend some money to do a certain thing and you didn't spend the money, I probably wouldn't notice. Um, there's just a level of trust that you have to have. Um, yeah. Next question from Mike, and this is another good one. This is, have I ever wanted a game to end mid-game because you knew you couldn't win and you want to spend more time perhaps playing a longer game or, or just a different game? Now, the question is, Mike, if, if I'm playing a game and it gets to a point where I know I'm not going to win and there is a way within the mechanisms of the game that I can cause the game to end, then I might do that. Now, there are very few games like that, unless we're talking semi-cooperative, which I don't like. Um, but if we're talking about a game, you know, with, with a fixed number of rounds, let's say, let's say a game has 10 rounds and we're on round six and I know I can't win. And he's asking, have I ever wanted to end the game? First of all, I never would end the game. If everybody else is still playing it, I'm not gonna say, well, I'm not gonna win. so the game's over. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sit there and I am just going to try and get as many points as I can get, even though I know I'm coming last. Um, but if there was a way within the mechanisms of the game that I can cause the game to end early, then why wouldn't I do that? I, I Yeah, I, I possibly would do that. And I don't see anything wrong with that, but I don't know. I don't know any games which have that as a mechanism in there, except, as I say, for semi-cooperative games that I don't play. Right, next question from Emil. 
Where would I place Great Western Trail Argentina in my top list for last year? Well, I haven't done my top games of 2022 yet. I'm likely to do them sometime around the summer. Um, but he's asking, is Great Western Trail Argentina going to be in my top 10 for last year? I've only played it twice. I need to play it more um, because I'm, I'm undecided on it. Now, Emil says, Great Western Trail 2nd Edition is in my top 10 of all time. Yes, it is. Uh, and this is a new version. He says it's better for many. And I'm curious about this. If you've played Great Western Trail Argentina, do you think it's better than the original game? Because after two games, my initial reaction is that it is not better than the original game. I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying I think I prefer the original game to Argentina right now at the moment. Um, but I think he's sort of asking... Because it isn't a standalone game, because it's like a, a new version, would I consider it in my top 10? Yes, I would consider it. As far as I'm concerned, Great Western Trail Argentina is a different game to Great Western Trail, even though it shares 80% of the DNA. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure where it is in my top 10. I definitely need to play it again. Uh, right, let's just take a short break while I have a bit of a cup of tea. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to thank my patron supporters. Um, Patreon supporters are what keep the channel going. This video is not a sponsored video. Obviously, I do a lot of sponsored videos on the channel, but there's a lot of non-sponsored videos that I do as well. For example, last night, played Marvel Champions. Friday, playing Feast for Odin. Those videos are not sponsored, uh, and they're only possible thanks to the support of the Patreon campaign. So, big thank you to all of my Patreon supporters, and if you do want to support the channel uh, and help keep me going, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. If you're a Patreon supporter, you get access to the exclusive Slack channel, uh, some behind-the-scenes videos, and all sorts of extra bonuses as well. Uh, so yeah, big thank you to all of you. Right, next question from Stuart. Uh, Stuart has managed to get past his OCD of keeping games in pristine uh, and complete. I've managed to get over that as well. You know, if a box gets damaged, a box gets damaged. But I used to be very, very OCD about it. Um, but what Stuart has started doing is he started storing some token upgrades and generic coins in a box to potentially use them in other games. And he's asking, do I basically do the same? Or do I keep the original components in a game? Now, what you've said there is token upgrades. So for example, metal coins or iron clays or whatever. The iron clays that I have are up there. They are not in my copy of Brass Lancashire. They are up there to be used with other games. So for me, certain token upgrades i keep them outside of the game and i have them aside so that i can use them in other things but there are other ones for example i've got the metal coins for flamecraft they are in flamecraft so yeah it it really depends on the game to be honest um but that's another one that i'm interested in seeing what other people do do other people keep their uh upgraded components in the game that they came from which means you can't then really easily use them in other games, or do you pull them like Stuart does and keep them all in one place that you can use them for other games? Um, Stuart's next question is, he says, we've talked about the trend for bling and big expensive extras on Kickstarters that don't really enhance the game. But Stuart is saying that no one that he has seen seems to do storage inserts as part of a deluxe Kickstarter or add-ons despite there being a market for them. Why do I think that is? Well, Stuart, and if you're watching this live, there are, there are lots of things that do that. So if you look at Frosthaven, for example, uh, Frosthaven offered two inserts 
as part of their Kickstarter. So I, I've seen that. I've, I've actually seen exactly what you you said. Um, add Kickstarter add-ons or deluxe Kickstarters um, that have storage inserts. Um, and one of the most recent ones that I know of is the City Collection from Queen Games. The deluxe version of the City Collection came with the game trays inserts. But if you didn't get the deluxe version, you didn't get the inserts. So yeah, I think I think that actually does happen. Um, next question from Augustine. He says he's only been in the hobby a couple of years, and while he's gotten many great recommendations from my channel, thank you, he was most pleasantly surprised by the games that I covered that are older, but still great games. For example, Taj Mahal that I mentioned, we we played that a couple of months ago, and they are relatively cheaper than the new games. Yes, exactly. Um, he'd love to see more Cult of the Old content, but imagine it wouldn't be very profitable for me. Do I ever feel a tension between covering the latest thing and providing quality content? So, for those people who don't know, um, in order to uh, fight against the constant Cult of the New, which 95% of content creators do, I, I would say, 95% of content creators and, and I, I literally just made that up, but I think it's about right. All of their videos only ever focus on the latest new games that are coming out. It's always Cult of the New. And I can understand why that is, because they get the most views and they get the most attention, they get the most engagement, etc., etc. And there are so many games coming out all the time. Um, but there are a few channels, including mine, where we don't always cover the brand new games. Um, and every so often on the channel, thanks to the support of the patrons, I do this cult of the old, where I get a game from 15, 20 years ago, and we get it out and we play it because it's still great. You know, this Friday, we're playing Feast for Odin. Now, Feast for Odin, whilst not 15 years old, is still an old game. How many channels out there are covering Feast for Odin? Uh, none that, that, that I know of. There might be some. If there are, let me know. So yeah, I like to do something different with my channel, and I like to cover some older games at times. Going back to the question, do I ever feel a tension between covering the latest thing and providing quality content? Well, I'd like to think that all of the content that I make is quality, whether it's an old game or a new game, but I know what you mean. Um, the tension is covering the latest thing or covering, covering an older game that I want to do. Uh, and again, this is all down to the support of the patrons. Because the patron support is so good, I don't feel that tension as much as I used to. Um, and it actually makes me very, very happy that I'm able to cover these older games and I don't have to worry about constantly covering the cult of the new. Now, it is true that my channel doesn't get as many views as all of these other channels that do cover the cult of the new all the time, but that's not what I'm about, okay? If I want to play Taj Mahal, I'm going to play Taj Mahal. And in fact, it wasn't actually me that chose Taj Mahal. Um, it was patron supporters again. What I did is I put a poll up for my patron supporters um, a couple of months ago and said, here's a list of old games. Which one do you want to see on the channel? And they picked Taj Mahal. So yeah, I, I'm not choosing these games most of the time. Um, so you know, I don't really feel the tension. But again, that's, that's thanks to the patron support. You know, we're playing Feast for Odin on Friday. How many people are going to tune in and watch that Feast for Odin playthrough? Not many, right? But how many people would watch the Friday's playthrough if I was covering, for example, Feast for Odin with the latest expansion, which isn't out yet? So let's say, hypothetically speaking, 
I was able to get an early copy of the new expansion for Feast for Odin, which has been rumoured for the last two years. Um, and let's say I managed to get a copy of it and I covered it on the channel. That would get a huge amount of views because nobody's seen it before. Um, I mean, it's a bad example because I love Feast for Odin, but you know, you get, you get the idea. Essentially, I'm going to try and play a mixture of the new games because ultimately this is my job and I need to cover the new games, but also some of the old games. So yeah. Next question from Angus. Do I read comics? Marvel or DC? If so, what series did you read? So yes, I do. Uh, I read comics and graphic novels. Marvel or DC? Both. Um, I've read more Marvel than I have DC. I'm currently in the process of reading through the entire Ultimates series of Marvel. I'm about a quarter of the way through because there's like 800 of them or something. Um, but I have read a number of other, uh, I've read a number of DC comics as well. I've read um, a number of Batman Gotham, um, Batman graphic novels. Um, but I've also read some graphic novels that aren't uh, superhero related. So I've read the entire uh, Lock and Key graphic novels. I've read the entire Gotham Central graphic novels. Um, there's a few other ones as well that, that I've read. Um, Watchmen, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So yeah, I, I do read comics. I have, I have them on the iPad. Uh, and I read them to, to help me get to sleep. So, yeah. Next question from Mick. Uh, he says, this is more of a lot. I'd like to know your thoughts rather than a question. Okay. So Mick says, I was surprised. He says, you were surprised at how much you enjoyed Agricola, much more than you expected. And mentioned before you had mainly played it online, but the in-person provided quite a different experience overall. Do I think it was that that made the difference? I don't remember saying that. <laughs> um, I don't remember saying that. Now, I will caveat this with, I will always enjoy a game in person with other people more than I more than playing a game online, okay? But I don't remember saying that about Agricola. I do remember saying I enjoyed it much more than expected, but I think one of the reasons why I enjoyed it is we used the extra tile which gave an, an additional action space for family growth. And therefore, one of the reasons why I didn't like Agricola was the tightness, especially with regards to the family growth action. So by using that additional tile meant there were more opportunities to grow your family. It was less brutal and less punishing if you weren't in the right place in turn order. Uh, and that, that was one of the key factors, I think, in enjoying the game. Um, but yeah, I, I will always enjoy a game with other people more than one online. Um, he says this is something that he's noticed as well. He's, he's gotten into playing on games on Tabletop Simulator and online gaming a lot since COVID. Um, and some games feel very different when playing physically rather than virtually. Um, yeah, I mean, they do. But I love online gaming. I play so many games on Board Game Arena. And whilst I don't play that many games on Tabletop Simulator anymore, uh, mainly because I don't have the time to do it. I find the experience very similar. I'm, I'm very lucky that when we were in the middle of COVID and we weren't allowed to sort of physically, you know, meet each other, I was playing games with friends and patron supporters using Tabletop Simulator, and I was getting almost the same level of enjoyment as I would if they'd have come round. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite lucky in that respect. Next question from Jeff. 
Jeff says, my group recently played a Euro which didn't have a set number of rounds. Players were taking turns until the end of the game is triggered, at which point the game ends immediately. And he says his group hated the way that the game ended. Um, and, it, and he says, if we all got the same number of turns, I wouldn't have lost, they said. But he thought that given the game mechanisms and the lack of rounds, he thought it was appropriate to have an immediate end. Earning points moves the game closer to the end so all players can gauge and push their luck as the end approaches. Right. I think I get what you're saying. So the question is, is it fair to say that a game is unfair if all players don't get the same number of turns? I'm going to answer that now. Yes. Or can you think of an example in which a game has an immediate end game trigger but still feels satisfying? That is going to be a question for the guild because... I think it's a good question and I don't think I can answer it. But more importantly, I want to know the answer. So, Chrissy, could you convert Jeff's question into a question on the guild? And the question is, can you give me an example of a game which has an immediate end game trigger, which could cause the players to have an unequal number of turns, but is okay? That's the question. Now, let's take a game which is very, very popular and very, very big called Dominion. Dominion is a classic game that players do not have the same number of turns. So Dominion is a, a classic game as in it's a classic example of a game where there is an end game trigger. The game ends at a particular point and it ends immediately. And it doesn't matter, and, and the players might not have had the same number of turns. So I'll tell you now, I house rule Dominion to make sure that all players have the same number of rounds. So if you're as bothered about it as I am, Jeff, I think Dominion is unfair unless all players have the same number of turns. But the question for the guild is, is there a game like Dominion with an immediate end game trigger where it's okay that the players haven't had the same number of turns. And for me, I'm always nervous about those kind of games because it's one of the things that if I ever designed a game myself, I would ensure that all players had the same number of turns because otherwise it's just inherently unfair. But yeah, we'll get the question on the guild and I'll have a look at that later. Next question from YGen. Uh, what are my thoughts on the rise of AI tools like ChatGPT and mid-journey and how they will affect the board game industry. So for the last few months, I've been asked questions about AI generated art. Um, and now I'm being asked about AI tools such as chat GPT. Now, I've heard a lot of people talking about this for the last couple of months. Um, and, I, and I've actually seen some people posting on Slack. I think Graham posted something on Slack last week he said, design me a board game a bit like a Lacerda game to chat GPT. And it came up with a whole load. I don't understand it. I don't actually really understand what this is other than it's some kind of weird artificial intelligence where you type something in and it goes away and thinks about it. Right. I, I don't know enough about it to have an opinion about it. It feels a little bit weird um, and I kind of only half read the results. Um, but what are my thoughts on how it might affect the board game industry? I, I don't know. I mean, is it any good or is it nonsense? That That's my first question to you. If you know anything about this chat, GPT, whatever it is, 
are the things that come back for it valid and useful or are they just complete nonsense? Um, because if they're actually valid and useful, then maybe there is something here. Maybe the robots are taking over. Right, next question. Um, Adrian is saying, when will War Room be covered on the channel? That's a very good question, Adrian. So there is a local friend of mine called Adrian, uh, who's part of the Whose Turn Is It Anyway, who's got a copy of War Room, and I'm waiting for him to come over to teach me how to play it so that we can play it on the channel. Um, and in fact, so for those people who don't know, War Room is by designer, and I think I've got this right, Larry Harris. He designed Axes and Allies. Now, Axes and Allies is a game that I grew up playing, literally, in, in the 80s and early 90s, before I got into all of this modern board game stuff, I was playing Axes and Allies, and Advanced Civilization, and 1830, and Titan, and Merchants of Venus, and things like that. Axes and Allies is one of those games that I played loads a long time ago. But, it's horrendously long, and it's loads and loads of dice rolls. Anyway, War Room is effectively, as far as I understand it, a revised version of Axes and Allies. That's in very, very simple terms. Um, and I think we've actually got a date booked in. So Adrian's got a copy of it. He backed it on Kickstarter. And I think we've got a date booked in. Let me just have a look. Now that's Cloudspire with JP. I'm sure we booked in. Because you're not coming to Bacon. Yeah, I can't remember. I, th I thought we'd booked something in, but I can't quite find it. So War Room, the plan is to cover it on the channel at some point. Um, watch this space. Watch this space. Right. Next question. Which is my favourite nation to play in Axes and Allies? <sighs> I mean, I've played all of them. Not Russia, obviously. Um... I think possibly Japan. I think Japan might be my favourite one because there's a lot of different options that you have with Japan. How much do you do the naval stuff? How much do you do the land stuff? So yeah, I'm going to say Japan. Uh, and if I had to play one board game from my collect, if I had to play one of the board games from my collection, scaled up to 10 times its current size. I didn't read this question in advance. This is a really good question. So I've got to pick one board game in my collection, scale it up to be 10 times its current size, which one would it be? Oh, I mean, lots of them would look amazing. Like Cloudspire. Can you imagine Cloudspire at 10 times the size played on a football pitch? Or even Battle Law. Something like Battle Law, second edition, played at 10 times the size. That means the miniatures would be this big. You'd, you'd play it on like a, a school sports yard or something like that. It's a good question. And I wish I'd have seen that earlier on. I was just focused on your first question. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll say Cloudspire for now, but there's probably other ones. I think Cloudspire would look amazing 10 times the size. Right, next question from Matt. Any thoughts on designer interviews and discussions as content on the channel? He's heard that interviews and conversations unfortunately don't attract many views, but he but will find them interesting. Uh, I believe I could do them well with my connections and experience of games in the industry. Yeah, I could. Um, and to be honest, it doesn't bother me that they don't get that many views. You know, I don't make videos in order to get views. Um, I have done some of those in the past. 
but I haven't done any for a long time. Um, you know, back in the day, when I used to do the old podcast, I used to interview designers and people like that. Uh, the new podcast, which you may be listening to right now, um, the new podcast that I do is just the video logs and the Q&As. It's just the audio version of those. I don't actually have any designer interviews or anything like that, but I have done them in the past. Um, it's just one of those things that I got out of the habit of doing. And if I were to do them now, I'm not sure where I would fit that content in with all of the other stuff that I do. Um, but I'm not going to rule it out. Not going to rule it out. Right, Alex has got some questions. Do I have a favourite colour when playing? Yes, easy, purple. Next, I have often heard the phrases tactical and strategic when someone describes a game and the importance of being one or the other. What do they mean and what's the difference? I like this question because I think I can answer this. Um, and if Peter Rushton's in the chat, yes, he is. Hopefully you will agree with this. So 10 years ago, I didn't understand the difference between strategy and tactics. I think now I do understand the difference between strategy and tactics, and I'm going to try and explain it to you um, as, as I understand it. Strategy is something that you can have before the game begins. It is an overall strategy of how am I going to approach this game? So, for example, I'm going to be playing a game of Lost Ruins of Arnak, and my strategy for this game is I'm going to try and do as much exploration as I can and I'm going to try and defeat as many monsters as I can. And you can have that in your mind before the game begins. And that is a strategy. And it's the same that applies to sports. If you imagine a game of uh, football or soccer, you can have a strategy going into the game. Right, so our strategy for this game is we're going to try and, I don't know football, uh, push hard on the left-hand side or, and, and whatever. You know, you, you can have an overall strategy. Now, tactics is what you do at the, at the small scale, the detailed level. And you can't have any tactics before the game begins because a tactical decision is based on the current information. Now, one of the reasons why I like most of the board games that I play, and I'll go back to the example that I've just given about Lost Ruins of Arnak, is you might go into a game of Lost Ruins of Arnak and say, this is going to be my strategy. I'm going to try and do that. But then you start playing it and certain cards come out and this happens and that happens and you think, oh, there's, there's another opportunity that's presented itself to me. I might actually do that. And that, that is the tactical decision. Um, anyway, that's that's as I understand it. So I'm checking the chat to see if Peter agrees with me. <laughs> he switched off. Right, next. Um, people often realise that they have been getting a rule incorrect after watching my videos. Has it happened to me? Um, so generally speaking, I don't have that much time to watch other people's playthroughs. Um, I really appreciate all of the people that spend hours and hours and hours watching my playthroughs, but I just simply don't have the time to watch other people's playthroughs. Um, when I do, it's quite rare that I will see them doing something which I then think, oh, I got that wrong. It's actually more often the case 
that I watch them playing a game and they are making mistakes. And I don't mean this as a criticism or anything else, but that's the thing which I notice um, more so on some channels than others um, is, yeah, I'm watching them and I'm seeing them do something wrong. And if it's a live stream, I'll, I'll point it out to them. Or if I'm watching it back afterwards, I'll, I'll leave them a comment. Some of them don't like that, um, which is a shame. But yeah, I don't think I've ever watched somebody else's video and saw them doing something that's made me realise I was doing something wrong. I don't think this happened to me. Right. We have a couple of questions left and then we're going to have a short break and I'm going to go through some extra details and then we'll go to the live questions. So this question's from Villain by Night. I don't know what they do by the day, but they are a villain by night. Depending on who you ask, board games are in a golden age or they are just entering adolescence or they are now emerging from infancy. As with all art forms and mediums, these things tend to be uh, cyclical, cyclical, cyclical. I don't know. Anyway, go around in circles um, and are probably best understood in hindsight. That said, your time and experience in the industry might offer insight. Where do you think we are? Where do I think we are? Are we in a younger phase where board games are poised for huge leaps forward towards creativity? Or are we in a golden age where we're at the peak of growth and innovation? Or are games in a waning golden age where growth in the hobby is temporarily plateaued and bloat commercialization and monetization dominate the industry? How might this time be we're characterizing a few years from now? Right, okay, so first of all, I don't think we are just emerging from infancy. I think we've been through that phase 20 years ago. Um, I don't think we are entering adolescence. I would like to say that we're in a golden age. I'd like to say that. And, and, and in some respects, we are, because we are bombarded with a plethora of new board games coming out all of the time, way too many than anybody can cover uh, or play or anything else. And games are getting, some games are getting really fascinating and interesting and they're doing cool things. And, the, you know, if, if we look at a game like ISS Vanguard, ISS Vanguard would not have come out 10 years ago. It just wouldn't. But ISS Vanguard is incredible and it's amazing. And it's such a, a unique game in the way that it is. And I, you know, and I feel honoured to have been part of that project. So we are in a golden age um, and there's a lot of innovation and there's a lot of people doing very, very cool stuff. But on the downside, as you've mentioned, are bloat commercialization and monetization dominating the industry. I don't think they're dominating the industry, but just touching on the one thing that I said earlier on, and I'll try not to have too much of a rant about this, but one of the things that really bothers me is the amount of games coming out that are bloated, that are over overhyped the kickstarters are just way too big with dozens and dozens of stretch goals and money you know everything in them uh, and a dozen videos from content creators all saying that this is the best game they've ever played in the history of their entire life and then and then and then it's out and it's gone and then the next week there's another kickstarter with another 50 million stretch goals and you look at them and some of these games are great. Some of these games are probably really nice, but some of them are overproduced. Some of them have gone 
excessively overproduced with miniatures, bling, and things that are just not needed, things that are not adding at all to the experience and the gameplay, but publishers are still making them. And that's that's bothering me. And there's one game that I'm thinking of right now. And if you're a patron supporter of mine and you're on the Slack channel, ask me tonight. I don't want to talk about this in public, um, but I will talk about it on the Slack channel. There is one game that was on Kickstarter last year and it was a solid Euro game, right? And it should have been published and it should have just come out as a solid Euro game and cost $45 or $50 or whatever. But because the nature of the industry right now is, oh, let's have a deluxe version of the game. Let's have this. Let's have this. Let's have this. This game came out and it was on Kickstarter and it was like $80 or $90. And it was all like, oh, look, we've got acrylic tiles and we've got this and we've got... It doesn't need it. And I think one of the things that's bothering me a lot about the industry is that we're moving away from the game is good to how good the game looks. And I understand publishers doing it because it makes them more money, but not every game has to be super deluxe, right? We can still have really good games without super fancy metallic sheen, bling, acrylic tiles, whatever. Just make good games. They don't need to be overly blinged. Anyway, rant over. Final question before we go to the live questions is, in a related note, which board game mechanism do I think is poised to push games forward into a new into new territory? An example might be the deck building from Dominion. Um, another way to put it might be, is there a, a mechanism which makes me think this is fascinating? I can't see what other designers and games do with this. I'm not able to answer that question because I just can't. It's not something that I'm aware of. I, I actually do get asked this quite a lot. Which mechanism do you think is going to be the next big thing? I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know of any mechanisms right now which are brand new and, you know, there's going to be a new thing about it. I, 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 I can't think. If, if you know of any, let me know. If you've seen a game that's come out in the last year that does something absolutely new and innovative and something special and unique and you think that that mechanism could be picked up and you know, like deck building, then let me know. Let me know. Right. Short break. Let's talk about a few things. First of all, the contest. Every month as part of this live Q&A, I do a giveaway contest. And if you're watching this video either live or if you're watching this video any time between now and the 12th of April, you can enter the contest. So if you're watching this video back next week or the week after, or even on the 11th of April, and you think, oh, I've missed the contest, it's too late, you haven't, okay? Uh, you can enter the contest, and the contest is to win 50 pounds worth of game vouchers from Games Law. 50 pounds worth of games vouchers from Games Law. Now, Games Law themselves give 25 pounds towards that, and I give 25 pounds myself. So you could win 50 pounds worth of games vouchers, 50% of the money's from me, 50% from Games Law, all you need to do is you need to click on the link, which is in the description of this video. And Vicky's going to put it in the chat. If you do the Bing contest, it should do it. Um, and answer the question. So first of all, put your name. Tell us whether you're a patron supporter or not, because if you are a patron supporter, you get two entries into the hat. 
And the secret word is Amsterdam, which is why I've got that picture in the background. So for those people who don't know, that is, uh, I think it's Despikerstadt in Amsterdam. I think it is. But anyway, that's the secret word for today. So yeah, enter the contest. And just to give you an idea, there are approximately, no, I can tell you exactly. I think 113 people entered the contest last month. So these videos normally get about 1,000 views, one and a half thousand views. Less than 10% of the people watching this video enter the contest. So you actually stand a very good chance of winning if you enter. So yeah, click on the link, enter the contest. And if you are a Patreon supporter, you get two entries into the hat. And the winner of last month's contest was Joshua Lesser. Congratulations, Joshua. I've been in contact with you. You know what you need to do. So yeah, congratulations to that. And the other thing I wanted to mention, uh, this is something a little bit different, but a good friend of mine, um, Paul Fronstoff Harris, if I pronounce your name correctly, he runs Handicon. I've known Paul for a long, long time. And right now, Paul is raising money. He's doing a 100 kilometer running. Now, not all at the same time, but over the month of March, he is doing, uh, he's running for 100 kilometers. So he's basically going out, doing a bit, in the snow, the rain, whatever, coming back, and he's raising money for charity. Um, Vicky's gonna put a link into the chat right now, and it's in the description of the video. If you are not a Facebook user, I'm sorry, but you won't see it. He, he's doing it through Facebook. It's a, it's a donation through Facebook thing, where he's trying to raise money, and it's for the shelter charity, um, who provide homes, I think, for the homeless or something like that. Anyway, that's what it is. It's for a really good cause, uh, and if you are in a position to be able to donate, then feel free. Now, some of you will know that all of the gaming rules advertising revenue goes to charity. So this video, not just this video, but every single video that I make on the channel, all of that advertising revenue goes to charity. Now, many of you know this already, but some of you don't. So gaming rules as a company, we donate between six and 700 pounds every month to charity. Uh, and some of that donation money is is going towards this. So I'm going to be making a donation myself uh, from Gaming Rules to Paul to support him in, in what he's doing. Uh, good luck with the rest of it. Um, right, I think we're ready to carry on. So we're over to the live questions. So anybody who has been asking a question in advance, we're now going to go to those questions. And these ones I've not seen before. At least the other ones I had a little bit of time to prepare for. So, first question from L. Hi, Paul. Any recent solo games you would recommend from your first 2023 plays? Uh, got Skytear Horde based on my playthrough already and always curious for more. Ah, right. Okay, bear with a minute. Let me go to uh, Board Game Geek. I'm going to go through all of the games that I've played this year. <laughs> so, from... January 1st to the present day by game. Right, here we go. Um, Earth. Earth has a solo mode. It's a good solo mode as far as I'm concerned. Oh, let me just caveat this with. I like simple solo modes. I do not like solo games with complex AIs. So let's just get that out there, okay? So it doesn't matter how good your solo mode is, it could be the best solo mode in the world, but if it has a 20 page rule book and takes me 90% of my brain power to work out what the bot is doing, I don't want to play it. That's not for me. So 
bear that in mind when I'm rating these solo modes. Earth, I liked the solo mode of Earth. It's It's got a simple bot to, to run and that's a good game. Um, Through the Ages, a story of civilization. I play that on the app. So that's, that's a solo game. Atiwa. I've played Atiwa solo. I really enjoy Atiwa as a solo game, but it's really hard. Um, not played that. Skytear Horde, yeah, I've played that solo and you've, you've already got that, so that's good. Uh, which of the other ones here would I solo? Um, not that one, not that one, not that one. I've not played Heat Pedal to the Metal yet solo. Excuse me. But everybody else that I know who has played Heat solo has said it's fantastic. So I've not played that one. Uh, not that one, not that one, not that one. Revive. I've played Revive solo. I enjoyed that. That was really good. Again, that's my kind of my kind of game. Uh, not that one, not that one. Carnegie. As I've already mentioned, Carnegie is a game that is close to perfection. And Carnegie's solo mode is brilliant. So yeah, definitely Carnegie. Um, not played that solo yet. Not played that solo yet. Frostpunk. Frostpunk is kind of, well, it is a solo game, but it's also a multiplayer game. Yeah, I mean, Frostpunk's an amazing game, but that's, it, it's really weird because you see a lot of, there's various discussions on various Facebook groups that I'm a member of that say, which game has the best solo mode? And then, I see, I see Frostpunk on that. Now, as much as I love Frostpunk, and Frostpunk is an amazing game, and I absolutely love it, but I would never vote for Frostpunk in which game has the best solo mode. Because as far as I'm concerned, Frostpunk is kind of like a solo game anyway. And it's like, if you look at Too Many Bones, does Too Many Bones actually have a solo mode? I mean, yes, but how different are the rules? When I'm when I'm looking at whether a game has a solo mode or not, I'm talking about a game which actually has different rules for playing it solo, rather than just, you know, it, it's the same game. So anyway, Frostpunk is fantastic, but I wouldn't have said Frostpunk has a solo mode. Yeah. Um, what else? Same with Hoplomarchus Marcus Victorum. I mean, that's a solo game. Uh, Lacrimosa, I've not played that solo yet. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's that's about it. There's a couple on there that I'm deliberately not mentioning because I have played them solo and I wasn't too keen on them. So what did we get? Um, yeah, Revive, Heat, Pedal to the Metal, uh, Skytear Horde, Attiwa, Earth. There you go. That's a few of them. Uh, next question from Machia uh, Machiavelli. Uh, he was wondering what my favourite expansion stroke module is for Endless Winter and if there are any that you would always choose to play with. Good question. Um, I don't actually have a favourite one. I've played with all of them uh, and they all change the game a little bit. Uh, Rivers and Rafts changed it a bit too much for me. I'm not saying it's a problem, but the way that Rivers and Rafts work is you lose so much of the map that, that I'm used to from playing other games because it's replaced by the river um, and and various other things. But I liked the way that the monuments worked in that game. And I kind of liked the way the river worked. Made you rethink about it. Now, I have seen some people talking on various forums about the Ancestors expansion. And there is a train of thought. 
and I disagree with this train of thought, that they say the cards from the Ancestors expansion are a million times better, never use the ones from the base game, only use the ones from the expansion, right? I couldn't disagree with that more. They provide variety, they are a different experience, but they are not a million times better. It might have been for them. Basically, the animals from the Ancestors expansion, you want to be collecting the set early on and you get points for them during the game, whereas in the base game, you don't need to collect them early on. You only need them at the end of the game because it's a set collection that's worth points at the end of the game. It's a different thing. One is not better than the other, except it might be for you. So no, I, I don't I don't have a favourite one, I think. I mean, I wasn't that keen on cave paintings. Um, so I would probably say the Ancestors expansion, but just for variety. And I wouldn't necessarily replace all of the cards with new ones. I'd replace some of them, which is which provides a really interesting dynamic to the game. It's like, oh, you could collect these animals because they're going to score you points during the game, or you could collect these ones that are worth points at the end of the game. Um, so yeah, let's say that one. Uh, ben is asking, as promised, why there are 250% Norwegians in this uh, this Friday's playthrough. Um, just because I decided to put a clickbait title on screen, just for a bit of fun, really. Um, but yeah, we're playing Feast for Odin Friday night with the Norwegians expansion, if you're interested. That playthrough will be live on Friday night, Friday night, four players, Feast for Odin with Norwegians, and we'll be talking about the game afterwards. Uh, next question, also from uh, Machiavelli. I was wondering what your favourite... No, wait a minute, that's the same question. Vicky's put it in twice. <laughs> next question. Uh, oh, and this is from, uh, yeah, Mr. Harris's Math School. Um, so he said, if you were five and a half kilometres away from home and having run, stroke, walked, and still know that you've got six to seven kilometres left, what's the advice for someone like that, maybe raising money for charity or something? Thank you very much, Paul, for popping in the chat. Um... And yeah, as I mentioned, Paul is doing really good stuff at the moment. Um, yeah, raise, raising all of this money for charity. And we will be donating ourselves at some point. So I hope you make the 100 kilometres. Uh, and hopefully the weather's improved. Because I think when you started it, it was snowing and raining. Next question from James. Which IP would you like to see get a game that doesn't already have one? Ah, now James, you're a, a regular member of these live Q&As. You know that I get asked IP-related questions all of the time. But this one is slightly different because you're saying, which IP would you like to see get a game that doesn't already have one? Because my default answer is the Dresden Files, because I think the Dresden Files is amazing, and I'd love to see more games in the Dresden Files universe. The card game is okay, but I was a little disappointed. I wanted something deeper. Uh, and more involved, like a little bit like the Arkham Horror sort of card game or board game. But he's saying, which IP would I like to see get a game that doesn't already have one? I'm yeah, I'm I'm drawing a blank on this one because there's so many games out there for IP. I'm trying to think IPs, IPs that I like that haven't already got games. Um, I mean, let's look at famous films or books or something like that. Dune. We haven't had any Dune board games, have we? No. Other than like 50 million of them. Um, yeah, and the thing is, some of my favourite 
books, as in IPs. Um, I don't know whether they would make good games. So, for example, the David Gemmell books. I love the David Gemmell books. I've read loads and loads of David Gemmell books, uh, Legend and loads of, I can't remember, loads of other ones. Um, and the Asimov's Foundation trilogy. I love that. But as a game, how would that work as a game? So I don't think every book or film could be converted into a game. Yeah, not sure, not sure. Sorry, I'm not able to answer that, James. Catch me at another time, maybe on Slack, when I've got a bit more time to think, and maybe we can have a discussion with some other people. Um, David is asking, how goes the fitness program? Good question. Thank you very much, David, for asking that. Uh, I have been to the gym today. So I'm still going to the gym. I'm still going to the gym, and I'm going on average three times a week. Um, sometimes two, sometimes four. But while it started off good last year, this year, for the whole of this year, and we're now what, eight, no, uh, 10 weeks in, it's actually not been going well. To be honest, it's not been going well. Every single time I go to the gym, I'm not really feeling the enthusiasm. I'm not really doing enough. I'm not pushing myself well, no, I am, but I'm getting tired. I'm, I've not been sleeping well for the last five or six weeks. I spent all of January ill with with flu and then COVID. Uh, and then I've spent most of the last five or six weeks struggling with lack of sleep. So I'm permanently run down. I'm permanently tired. Um, I mean, I didn't get sleep till two o'clock this morning, for example. And then I was up at 7.30. Um, so, yeah, every time I go to the gym, I, I feel that I don't have the energy. And I do maybe... 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and then I just lose all motivation and I come back. So, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm still going. That's the good thing, but I'm not doing as much as I think I need to be. Next question uh, from Ben. Worst thing you've ever seen? That's that's a bit of a, a, of a very, very, a very open ended question, Ben. Worst thing I've ever. Oh, sorry, eaten. I need new glasses. The worst thing I've ever eaten. So back in the 90s, when I was working as a network engineer for IBM mainframes, our small work team of network specialists, there was four of us, uh, and we went out for a meal and we went to a Thai restaurant. Now, I'd never had Thai food before. Um, and we sat down and we ordered the food and, you know, uh, and it arrived and I couldn't eat it. Um, and I've not, I think I've had Thai food once, but I avoid Thai food now. Um, and it, I, I felt really, really uncomfortable because we were there in this nice restaurant and they brought this nice meal out and it looked nice and it smelled like old dirty rotten socks. Um, and I, and I just, it made me feel physically ill and I tried to eat it and it just, yeah. So we sat there for the whole meal with everybody else eating and me literally sitting there, not touching it at all and feeling really uncomfortable. Um, and we've kind of avoided me having Thai food uh, ever since. Now, I don't know if that was a one off or it's something about Thai food that I don't like. Part of me thinks we should go somewhere where Thai food is an option. Somebody have it and then I can maybe try it. I don't know. Um, the other thing, uh, the, the other the question is worst thing I've ever eaten. The other thing is 
I have very, very sensitive taste buds with respect to certain flavours. And wasabi or horseradish, I cannot eat. It is like the most disgusting thing ever. Um, and I knew I didn't like horseradish. But then somebody brought around some wasabi peanuts and said, oh, do you want one? And I didn't realise that wasabi and horseradish were the same thing. And I remember going, oh, I like peanuts. Yeah, I'll have one. And ate it. And it was like, oh, yeah. So there's something, something about that particular taste. Just find it absolutely vile. Right. Next question from Mark. Last year's Essen was reportedly hijacked by people who got in a day early, purchased limited and sought after stock levels. My opinion. Do I know if some at the fair will pre prevent this? So, Mark, that is not a problem from last year's Essen. That is a problem from every year at Essen. And I am one of the people guilty of causing that because I have an exhibitor's pass because I work at Essen, which means I get access to the halls on the Wednesday. And the Wednesday is my only time in, in previous years where I'm not working. So the Wednesday is my opportunity to go and see the publishers while they're setting up their booths and saying, you know, can I have a review copy of such and such again? And quite often I will get that on the Wednesday and then I'll take it home. And then the stories go around, oh, there was only 50 copies of such and such a game and Paul's got one of them. It, it's happened before. Um, this year, um, I had to wait till the Sunday to get a copy of certain games um, because they weren't sure that they, they'd have any left. But the, there's, yeah, you can't do, you can't, you can't help it really. Um, now that that's me, that's me as a content creator. But there are also other people who go to Essen with exhibitors passes who are not content creators, so they have to buy their own games now. That is down to the individual publishers. Publishers really should not be selling games on the Wednesday. In fact, I don't think they're allowed to sell games on the Wednesday, but some of them do. Um, so do I know if somebody at the fair will prevent this? No. SN is so hands off, it's scary. Um, they have thefts every year. They have all sorts of problems. Uh, and the, the, the people who run the Essen convention and I think they do a good job at it, but they don't do anything to prevent certain issues. So no, that's just the way it is. If a publisher says we've only got 50 copies of a game and loads of people get in early on the Wednesday and get early access to it, that's that's just how it is. And there is not much that anybody can do about that. Next question from Keith. Is there one game given the time that I hope to be able to play at GridCon? What a great question. What a really, really good question. So GridCon is my own convention that me and Vicky run together. Uh, it happens in November. Uh, tickets are gonna be going on sale to the public in 11 days time. Uh, tickets are already available to Patreon supporters as a thank you for your support, but they're gonna be made available to the public uh, on the 26th of March. But because it's our own convention, it is not, I don't really have the uh the time to sit down and start playing a game first of all it's 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 my convention i should be running the convention i should be going around i should be talking to people uh, and things like that but also it's unfair on the other players if i'm sat there playing a game and then there's a problem 
Now, the chances are there isn't a problem, but I don't like to be in a position where I could be in the middle of something and I'm called away and I need to go and deal with something. However, that said, it would be great to play a couple of games at GridCon, and I would like to if I can. And the question is, is there one game, given the time, that I hope to be able to play at GridCon? The thing is, GridCon's in November. By November... So, let, let's answer the question of, if GridCon was next week, because otherwise, by November, we'll have 100 new games. So, if GridCon was next week, what game would I like to play at GridCon? I mean, there's a, there's a few. Uh, I want to play Hegemony again, or... Yeah, Hegemony. I think that's how we agreed it was spelt, pronounced. So, definitely want to play Hegemony. Uh, Frostpunk. Would always want to play Frostpunk. Uh, War Room, that I mentioned earlier on. I mean, I'm looking at games that are going to take four, five, six hours. Because games that we can't normally play on a games evening. So, they would probably be the ones. But, yeah, ask me again in August... Or, or September, when we know more about what are the new games that are going to be coming out for Essen this year. Next question from Robert. Did I watch any of the Great Britain in the World Baseball Classic? No. Um, I, I, I don't follow baseball at all. Um, I didn't even know Great Britain had a, a team in the World Baseball Classic. So, no. Uh, the only thing I know about baseball is I've played baseball highlights. Um, and I kind of... I kind of learnt a little bit about baseball from playing that game, but no, I don't I don't follow baseball at all. Ricky Royal follows baseball from the Box of Delights channel. He's a big baseball fan. Um, so he probably has watched it, but yeah, I, I haven't. Uh, next question from Jonathan. Any recommended middleweight immersive games? Oh, this is the immersive games question. Um, yeah, so we had this big, big long discussion on Slack last week, which was a really interesting discussion. And Jonathan started the discussion talking about thematic games. But then as the conversation went on, I think Jonathan had a different interpretation of what the word thematic meant. And I think we managed to get there in the end, immersive games. Um, I mean, I think I've given my thoughts on that already. I don't think I've got anything else to add to it. But if you're watching this video live, or if you're watching this video back afterwards, have you got any suggestions for Jonathan? So we're not talking... Uh, thematic game. We're talking, I think what Jonathan was saying is he wants games where he plays a character where he can get into the setting. So you get immersed in the setting. We're not talking Euro games where you're moving cubes around or anything else. Um, and we're also not, because when, when Jonathan said thematic games, I mentioned Hegemony because Hegemony is a very, very thematic game. But it's not an immersive game. It's not something where you really get involved in it and really feel that you're part of the characters or anything like that. Um, one of the most immersive games that I've played is uh, Tainted Grail. I found that extremely immersive. I, I got so immersed in the setting. And ISS Vanguard as well. Same designers. You know, the, 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 the creators that came up with the Tainted Grail setting and the ISS Vanguard setting are very much about immersive gameplay. Also... Frostpunk. Frostpunk is extremely immersive, as is something like This War of Mine. But you're asking for middleweight immersive games, and all of the ones that I've just mentioned are not middleweight. Uh, so yeah, I'm not sure, but if anybody's got any thoughts on that, 
Any 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 suggestions for Jonathan? Middleweight immersive games. Next question from Augustine. What are your house rules for two-player castles of Burgundy? Right. Two-player castles of Burgundy and also three-player castles of Burgundy. It's really simple. But first of all, let me explain what the problem is. And I, I personally feel this is a big problem with castles of Burgundy. And I'm a little bit surprised that more people don't see this as a problem. So in a two-player game of castles of Burgundy and also a three-player game, not all of the tiles come out. In fact, only half of the tiles will probably come out in a two-player game. And what that means is that you don't, you quite often get a very uneven distribution of the buildings and the animals. So for example, on the first round of a two-player game, I've got a, I've got a big area for animals that's five spaces and, I, and there's some sheep. So I buy the sheep and I put them in my thing. Next round, no sheep come out. Next round, no sheep come out. Next round, no sheep come out. That can happen in a two-player game. Now, if it's not happened to you, great. You carry on playing with the base rules. But so many people I know have told me that this is a problem. And I have experienced this myself. So that's the issue with the two-player castles of Burgundy. And it doesn't just apply to the animals. It applies to everything else as well. Because only half of the tiles come out, you are prone to a similar problem that Terraforming Mars and Ark Nova has in that if the right stuff doesn't come out, you know, what's the point in Ark Nova of buying a card that says, right, now every time somebody plays a bird, you get two money and then no birds come out for the rest of the game. It's unlikely in Ark Nova, but it's the same principle. So the house rule is really, really simple. What you do is you, you refill the board as if it's a four player game. So instead of only filling two slots in each area, you actually fill all four slots. So you refill the board as if it was a four-player game, but only two tiles can be bought from each section. So it basically fixes the problem, completely fixes the problem. It gives everybody the same amount of choice that there would be in a four-player game, but limits you to only two purchases per area. That's it. That's, that's the fix. That's the house rule. Next question from Sean. Uh, given you love the core game, I don't know what game he's talking about yet. Would you rather a game with low variability in the base box system, but a lot of expansions, but a lot of expansions versus a game with less, but a better base box and no expansions? Okay, so you're not talking about a specific game here. Just saying, imagine that there's a game where I love the base game. Would I rather a game with low variability in the base box, but loads of expansions, or a game with less, but a better base box and no expansions. I think I've understood the question. Um, interesting. I mean, hmm. I mean, you've said variability. I have a I have a thing about variability. I have a, that's a whole sort of extra topic that I can talk about. Um, I mean, first of all, would I rather a game with low variability in the base box? No, I, I I mean I like variable games. I don't like games which are 
the same every time. I like games with a lot of variability because every game is different. You know, can you imagine buying Dominion and it was the same 10 cards? You didn't get 25, you got 10 cards and that was the game. You'd play it five or six times and then you'd never play it again. The great thing about Dominion is that you've got 25 different cards and you use 10 of them. So your games are going to be different. That's the variability. So would I rather a game with low variability in the base box and a load of expansions versus a game with a better base box but no expansions? I, I think a better base box, but... And here's one thing that I personally think is a good thing that I know a lot of other people think is a bad thing. I like games which come with an introductory mode and then introduce the rest of the stuff as the game, as you play the game. And the, one of the best examples of this is Revive. Revive is one of the best games that came out last year. And Revive starts you off with, for your first game, here's the rules, right? Here are the rules for your first game. Then after your first game, and there's a little bit of story that you don't need to read, but there's a little bit of story, we're now gonna put in some extra rules. So that, that token there is gonna be tweaked slightly, but here's some extra rules. Now, you've played that, right. Now the third game, we're gonna throw in some extra rules. The fourth game, some extra rules, and the fifth game, the final bit of rules, and now you've got the full game. And a lot of people think that's really bad. And I, I think it's brilliant because if I was to play Revive with every single rule from all of the five chapters or whatever, all thrown in right from the start, that would be overwhelming for a lot of people that I know, including me. By doing what they did is they've stripped out some of the extra stuff and said, play this, then add this, then add this, then add this, then add this. I mean, the great thing with Revive is the base game without any of the extra stuff is still really good. Absolutely solid. It's not like, oh, this is a cut down, watered down version. So I personally like that. What I don't like is when, let, let's say, let's, let's focus on Revive. Let's say they didn't do that and they said, here's the game of Revive. And all of that stuff from all of those five chapters was all included in the base game. No, too much. And you don't you don't need it. So whereas I'd like a, a I like a good base game with no expansions, what I don't want is for them to throw everything in. I like the fact that they've taken and you know, let's just talk about Amsterdam for a minute. And the reason why Amsterdam is the secret word today is I'm working on the how to play video for Amsterdam at the moment. Literally, I filmed a bit of it this afternoon and the video should be done by next week. The reason why I'm mentioning Amsterdam is it comes with the base game and it comes with four expansions in there. I would not use any of those expansions for the first game. In fact, if you did, you just overwhelm the players by saying, oh, and now there's some extra rules. And now there's some extra rules. Oh, and there's some more rules. You don't need those rules for your first game. But those little mini expansions that they add, add extra variability to the game. I hope I've answered the question. I've kind of used it as a bit of a discussion topic. Um, now we're at 6.30. We normally finish at 6.30 and I've still got loads of questions to go. So can I say no more questions from this point on? Thank you very much if you've been watching. I am going to answer all of the rest of the questions, but no more questions from now on. Save them till next month. Right. George, stranded on a desert island, what game would you bring to pass the time? Mage Knight. 
There you go. Easy. Uh, Adam is asking if somebody made a Euro game about woodchucks and how much wood could those woodchucks chuck? Of course, those woodchucks could chuck wood. Where, where, where's the there's no question in there you've just you've just got me to read that out uh so an actual question from adam what three films adam you need to ask these questions on the guild because <laughs> this is going to mean me thinking what three films one from the 80s one from the 90s and one from the noughties would you like to see made into a board game and what mechanisms and designer would they each have there's no way I'm going to be able to answer that right now on the spur of the moment, but it's a good question. So pop it on Slack later on and we can we can have it. Or I'll tell you what, let's put it on the guild. Let, let's put it on the guild. Chrissy, if you don't mind putting that question on the guild uh, from Adam, what three films, one from the 80s, one from the 90s and one from the noughties, would you like to see made into a board game? That's the start of the question. And then... What mechanisms and designer would each of them have for those people that want to go a step further? Um, quick thing to the guild. Guild number 2258. I've talked about the guild a couple of times. Please head on over to the guild. It's on Board Game Geek. Join. Make sure you subscribe because otherwise you won't see anything. And these questions are going to be put on there. Um, and then, yeah, I'll have my own thoughts on it as well. Um, right, next. Uh, One versus the board says... If you had all the resources and the time to make your perfect board game, what would it play and look like? I've been trying to design my own game for like the last 25 years. Um, and I've got a few ideas that I think would be good. One of them was a game based on the Anno series of computer games. Now, Martin Wallace then came along a couple of years ago and designed Anno 1800, which is a great game. Um, but my version of the Anno board game would be almost unplayable. It would take up an entire room. It would be hex based. It would be very detailed. You'd build little carpenters that collected wood and then you'd go and collect that wood. Yeah, I, I've had these ideas going around in my head for a very, very long time. Um, but that's what it would play like. It would be a collaborative city building game where and, and it's been done. Uh, other games have done it. Roads and Boats have done it. Hamlet has done it, where players will construct buildings. For example, I'll build a woodcutter. But once you've built it and you get points for building it, that's not your woodcutter anymore, but that woodcutter is off cutting wood and generating wood, right? But then the wood will be transported to the carpenter and the carpenter will turn that wood into whatever and he'll make furniture and things like that. And it, it would be basically that and it would be a massive game. Um, the other one is Factorio. I think Factorio would make a fantastic board game. Um, and yeah, if I had the time and resources to do that, that would be pretty good as well. Uh, there's also a computer game that I've been playing a lot of recently, which has now become my number one favorite computer game of all time, which is Surviving Mars. And if Surviving Mars was done as a board game, oh my God, that would, that would just be amazing. Anyway, next uh, from Barash. I've seen your Hegemony playthrough. You loved it. Would Hegemony make my top 25 or even my top 10? Oh, that's a good question. Would Hegemony make my current top 25 games of all time? At the moment, probably. Because it is so good and it's so different and it's so unique. And the designers have done an amazing job with it. Would it make my top 10 of all time? 
it might. I don't know. I'd really have to sit down and go through the ranking system again. But yeah, Hegemony was was very, very good. Uh, another question from Adam. Are you and Vicky fans of theme parks, roller coasters, rides, etc.? Generally, no. I don't think we've ever been to one. We went to Legoland about 18 years ago, and I don't think we went on any rides. Did we? I can't remember. It was a, So, no. I, I'm not a big fan of those. I'm scared of heights, um, although I've got a lot better. I mean, five or six years ago, I couldn't even climb the ladder at the side of our house without the vertigo taking over. Now I can, and I'm a bit better at it. But no, generally not a fan of theme parks, roller coasters, etc. Uh, if so, what was the last one you visited and what were your thoughts on it? Can't, can't remember. Apart from Legoland 18 years ago, where I don't remember going on any rides. Um, it's not something that kind of thrill-seeking, whatever. It's not something that I particularly enjoy. Next question from George Josh. Which one of Steffenfeld's City Collection games is your favourite? Easy, Marrakesh. Of the current four, uh, Marrakesh is definitely my favourite. My second favourite is probably Cuzco, uh, which isn't out yet, but yeah, Cuzco is probably my second favourite. Uh, how are the plans going for the wedding? The wedding plans are going... Some parts are going okay. We're having issues with the caterers. Uh, we're having issues. We, we, we're doing the invitations soon. Um, and Vicky's been waiting for the last week and a half for a stamp. We've had a special a stamp specially made to put a wax seal on each of the things. And it was a really nice idea. And we got it from somebody off Etsy. And then they posted it and it didn't arrive. And then we can't... It's basically been about two and a half weeks since we ordered it. It's arrived today. The good news is it's arrived today and it looks really good. So there's lots of things that we've still got uh, to do. But overall, I think it's going all right. There's just a lot of nitty gritty admin. And it was it was funny because as part of the, the wedding, we have a contract with the venue. And Vicky's looking through this contract for the venue. And of course, Vicky looks through the contract for Gridcom. And it, you, you said that it felt similar. It felt like it was work because you were... And we, we've recently gone through the contract for Gridcon as well. And you were having to do that all at the same time. So, yeah, there are certain parts of it that are not that great. Have we seen the TV show The Traitors? No. Hosted by Claudia Winkleman. We don't really watch that much actual TV. Um, I mean, we're currently watching Prison Break from however many years ago that was. Um... It's basically live-action werewolf-style TV game. If not, have a look. It's strangely enjoyable. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, not something that I would find particularly enjoy enjoyable because even seeing other people lie to each other and bluff and everything else, that would trigger a lot of my anxiety issues. So, yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to avoid that show. Um, and the final question is also from Adam. Best example of an obligatory, obligatory Cthulhu showing up in random games that you wouldn't really expect Cthulhu to be there. Easy, Australia. Australia for Martin Wallace is a very unusual game that is a real hybrid of typical Martin Wallace Euro game, building rails, spending resources, action points and all of that lot. But it's actually set in the Australian outback a hundred years ago where you're fighting the old ones, including Cthulhu. It's like, what? It's a really, really strange game, but it's really good. And I, and I really enjoy it. So, yeah, there you go. That is my 
best example of a game where Cthulhu is in it and you don't really expect Cthulhu to be there um, at all. Right, we are all done. There you go. We wrapped up the last 10 minutes questions. And Brad's just popped in to say hi. And we've just finished. But you can rewind and watch it back. So just before I disappear, first of all, a huge thank you to everybody who's been watching this live. Don't forget to enter the contest. And if you missed the contest, Vicky's going to put a link to it in the chat right now. All you need to do is click on the link. It's also in the description of the video. The secret word is Amsterdam. And if you are a patron supporter of mine, you will get two entries in. If you're not a patron supporter, you'll get one entry in. Uh, sometimes a patron supporter wins and sometimes a, uh, a non-patron supporter wins. But the contest is open to everybody. And the contest is to win £50 worth of games vouchers from Games Law. £25 of that comes from me. £25 of that comes from Games Law. So thank you, thank you very much to Games Law for supporting the channel with this, with this giveaway. I wasn't paid any money myself for this, so I'm not making any money out of the Q&A. All of the advertising revenue from this video goes to charity, uh, as with all my videos. So a big thank you to all of my patron supporters for funding the channel. And if you like the content that I create and you want to support me and help me carry on making videos, patreon.com forward slash gaming rules. Other than that, it is, what is it tonight? Is it Mexican tonight? Enchiladas tonight. Enchiladas and prison break and putting some games away. That's my plan for tonight. I will be back on Friday... Friday evening with a live playthrough of Feast for Odin with 250% more Norwegians. Um, I might be doing something on Friday afternoon as well if I'm back in time from the garage. The car's going in for some repairs. Um, so yeah, I might be back in time for something Friday afternoon. But other than that, Friday evening, Feast for Odin. Definitely check that out if you're interested. Other than that, thank you very much to everybody for watching. Take care and I will see you all next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>